All right, happy Easter, Two Cities Church. Happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the closest that you get to a sunrise service, okay? <laughs> we don't get up that early. Huh? Welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're new, we got lots of guests. People watching online, people in the lobby. We see you. Look, uh, I want to just tell you what Easter's all about. Uh, Christians, listen, we love uh, to celebrate. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you have some Christians that are not a lot of fun. But Christians, historically, we love to party. <laughs> we love to throw a good feast. We love to throw a good festival. We especially love to celebrate Easter. And it's not because... Easter has bunnies and, and baskets and, and, and eggs, and I don't know how we got there, but, but that's not what Easter's ultimately about. Here's what Easter's ultimately about, okay? Uh, Easter is about the main confession of Christianity, the very center of what we believe. And here's what it is. If you have to leave early, I won't be offended. Uh, here's, here, let me give you the whole message. The main confession of Christianity is this. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We are witnesses, and this changes everything. That's what the, new, that's what the first Christians believed. Actually, it's not even what they believed. It's what they saw. It's what they heard. It's what they experienced. And so guys, today, what we're gonna look at is we are going to look at John 18. You can type to, turn to. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be behind me. We're gonna look at the events of Easter, okay? I, I know, look, we're all over the room in this place, okay? Uh, some of you, uh, you're, you're many of you, you're Christians, you're excited. You're, I mean, come on, it's the eight o'clock service on Easter morning. You're here, you're in your Sunday best, and you're hoping we're gonna sing a certain song and maybe not sing a different song, okay? This, that's you, we're glad you're here. Others of you, you're not Christians. You know you're not a Christian. We know you're not a Christian. We're glad you're here. And there's lots of different people like that, right? Uh, every once in a while, especially around this time of year, we have unchurched people come to church. Unchurched people who otherwise you would never come to church, right? You, I mean, okay for a wedding, okay for a funeral. Uh, if your one religious friend who's a little too excited about her faith invites you to Easter, she did that, maybe you're here, so welcome. You pulled up, you thought, okay, good. No steeple. No bells, no smells, uh, no priestly garments. This looks more like a crate and barrel. Crate and barrel church, I can handle this, welcome. Now, others of you, you're D-church. And here's what I mean by D-church, it's okay. You've been out of church. Maybe that's why you're watching online. You still haven't come back, it's fine. Um, you know, it's like, okay, you're out of church and who knows why COVID took you out of church or kids took you out of church or during college you got out of church or you got church hurt. Wherever you are and wherever, wherever, wherever you've been, we're glad you're here. And what, here's what we're looking at. Christianity is different than any other religion for many reasons, but one reason is it's all about a person. At the center of Christianity isn't a place. At the center of Christianity isn't principles and practices and philosophy. Uh, at the center of Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. In fact, I don't think you can explain the church apart from the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, when I say church, I'm not talking about like, I don't know, this building or this one and a half hour event, you know, that gets put on every week all around, you know, our city. When I'm talking about church, I'm talking about the people of God who worship Jesus Christ, there's about a billion of them all over the earth. I don't know how you explain the birth, the survival, and the expansion of the church apart from Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And so what I want to do is I want to take us, we're going to go kind of different. When you're a pastor, a little behind the scenes, when you're a pastor, Easter is both the easiest and hardest message to preach every year. It's like, I know what I'm going to talk about, right? It's Easter. But I want to take it at a different angle. I want us to look at Jesus' final one-on-one. It's actually his final one-on-one with an unbeliever, Pilate. If some of you, when you read Pilate, you may think Pilates. No, no, it's, they're, they're spelled the same, okay? Uh, I've suffered under Pilates. This is different. This is suffering under Pontius Pilate, okay? Um, but it's interesting because Pilate, if you're familiar with any of the confessions of the faith, he's the only unbeliever who makes it into all the confessions. Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. So today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus in the events that surround Easter. And here's what's kind of interesting about that. The Gospels, I don't know what this tells us. <laughs> Maybe it's not good news. The, uh, this part of it, because the Gospels and the book of Acts both end with a bunch of court cases. 
The beginning of Acts is really exciting. Lots of people get baptized, lots of people get saved. The end of Acts, from Acts 20 on, Paul's in jail or going to jail or at court. The end of the Gospels, Jesus faces six different trials. I don't have time to get into all of them. Why is that? Well, it's because the message that Jesus taught was offensive. Let's look what happened here. This is, uh, uh, is going to be John 18, verses 28. And by the way, my Easter gift to all of you, a shorter sermon this morning. Okay, there you go. A shorter sermon. Here we go. Uh, then they led Jesus. And who is they? They is the religious leaders. Think Sunday school teachers. Think pastors. Think denominational leaders. Think whoever you think is spiritually mature. Okay? It says, then they led Jesus. Is it, are we supposed to lead Jesus or is he supposed to lead us? He's supposed to lead us. When we lead him, uh, it doesn't go well and we go in the wrong place when we try to lead him. It says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. Think, think like a really big time religious guy. Think bishop. That's basically what Caiaphas was. So it says, they led from the house of Caiaphas. That was a different trial. That was a religious trial. That was a Jewish trial. To the governor's headquarters. Think the Supreme Court of that day. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So I want us to think about a couple things together this morning, just a couple interesting thoughts, because I want us to, Easter's about Jesus, so we're just gonna talk about him. And, and here's what we see today. There's two different groups of people that don't understand Jesus. There are the religious people, and they're gonna be the Jews, and we're gonna talk about them. And there are going to be the rebellious, or we could say the irreligious, or the relativistic people, and that's gonna be Pilate, okay? And we're gonna see that both of them don't understand Jesus. And by the way, that's a helpful way from a biblical perspective. That's a helpful way to think about our whole city. There, there's three types of people in our city. Biblically speaking, there are Christians who understand it's about a relationship with God. And then there are religious people. And I would say half the people who show up to church in every church in our city are probably religious. They're in church, but they're not in Christ. They may be convinced, but they're not converted. They may have been baptized, but they don't really believe. That's the religious, okay? And then the other half of our city is rebellious. Think Trade Street, think Fourth Street, think all the things that are happening. Think, think, I don't have time for God. Think progressive. Think all of that, right? And, and part of the, if you know the history of our city, is our city has been run by a bunch of religious people for a long time. That's what's happened. That's why we've been stuck. Because religious people are about the past. Religious people are about tradition. Religious people are moralistic. Religious people like rules. So first, we'll start with the religious people. Now, here's, here's an interesting thought, if you never had this thought. Maybe you'll have it for the first time. The people who killed Jesus were the most religious, moralistic, law-keeping people of that day, which should make us think because we're all in church right now. And the most religious people miss Jesus. In fact, what they're doing here is they're taking him. And it's really interesting. It says that they, if you look at the, verse 28, it says something really interesting. It says that they didn't want to go into Pilate's house. Well, why? Because Pilate was basically an atheist. He was a Gentile. He was a non-believer. And they said, we'll get defiled if we go into to, to, um Pilate's house. Now, you would think, well, is there an Old Testament verse on this? No. Was there an Old Testament verse that tells you you can't go to a Gentile's house? No. What happened here? This is what religious people do. Religious people make rules about the rules, right? Some of you know you've had a religious mom, you've had a religious grandmother, you've had a religious dad. That's how you know. They actually, they make rules about the rules. They make laws about the laws. They, they have all these traditions, and you're like, is this connected to any truth? And you can see religious people get mad about the wrong things. So they're handing over an innocent guy to death, Jesus. It says that. You'll see that in a minute. It says at the same time, so they're doing something horrible, and they're worried about being defiled by a man-made tradition. Okay, so here's what happens. <laughs> Pilate, you, you understand. And by the way, religious people don't understand rebellious people, and rebellious people don't understand religious people. And both of them don't understand Jesus. So here's Pilate. He's a rebellious person. He's like, I don't understand all you religious people. Look what he does. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this guy? 
In other words, Pilate's like, why do y'all hate this guy so much? Pilate can't figure it out. Well, here's their answer. And this is kind of the mob mentality, okay? I think this is like, this is Twitter, what we're about to see. This is, you know, this is a crowd, okay? They're all kind of just, it says, okay, then they answered him. This is the religious people. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Okay, well, that's not super helpful. You're not giving us a reason, but okay. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Okay, so here's what we might want to ask. Why do religious people, why did those religious people, and I would say, why do religious people today when they actually really encounter the teaching of Jesus, why are they so mad at Jesus? Well, let me tell you why they're not mad. They're not mad because of the signs he did for the most part, right? I mean, the guy who can turn water into wine, a good friend, okay? <laughs> a guy who can heal you, free healthcare, people like that. So, those, I mean, now, granted, they got mad because he healed on the Sabbath. They got, okay, but in general, it wasn't his signs. In general, it wasn't his stories. He could tell a story. I mean, he could, it, now at the end, they had a punch, and he would, he would confront you and the Good Samaritan, all that kind of stuff. But in general, we still love his, his stories. So it wasn't his stories. It wasn't his signs. Let me tell you why people didn't like Jesus. There, there were three reasons, at least. The first reason is he didn't fit into their categories. And by the way, this is why we tend to not like people, right? Because we don't know what to, what do I do with you if you're very different than me? Well, I could, I could talk to you, and I could learn why you're different than me, but that kind of, takes time. And you may challenge what I believe and how I do things. I don't want to do that. So what we tend to do with people that we don't understand is we just judge them. It's a lot easier. And then we feel morally superior to them. This is what we do. And well, Jesus didn't fit in their categories, right? I mean, he didn't teach in the synagogues like hardly ever. He taught outside. He didn't have this great group of guys that like went through all these rabbinical schools. He had a fisherman and a zealot and a couple tax collectors. And he didn't hang out with the right groups of people. He actually, according to their, what they thought, their tradition, he hung out with the wrong group of people. So that was the first reason. That's kind of a small reason, but they didn't like him because he didn't fit into the religious categories. The second reason they didn't like him is because he exposed their religion, right? I mean, we don't like it when people tell us that what we believe might be wrong. It, it will actually irregulate your whole emotionals, all of your emotions, because you're like, well, what I believe is really important. It's how I've constructed the whole world. And so what Jesus does, he comes to the religious people and he basically says, look, your religion has been external and it's empty. That's been his whole teaching toward them. And you've lost the heart of it. So here's the difference between religion and the gospel or Christianity. Religion is all about me. So if you meet a religious person, it is all about them and what they're doing. And Christianity is all about Jesus. Right? Religion says there are good people and there are bad people. And the good people are inside this church or whatever religious area I'm at. And the bad people are out there. In fact, what religious people love to do is they love to talk to the culture about the sins and struggles that the church doesn't have, that the culture does have. They love to tell people to repent of sins that they don't struggle with. Religious people, or gospel people, understand, no, there's not good and bad people. There's bad people in Jesus. And so what, what, what Jesus does is he comes and he confronts the me-centered, empty, external nature of their religion. And, and Jesus actually says, it's all about him. If you don't know this, Jesus is the most self-centered, self-focused, self-directed religious leader ever. He always points back to himself. He says, follow me, believe in me, worship me, I'm equal to the Father. Well, there's a third reason they didn't like him. Of course, they don't understand him, and of course, you know, uh, he exposes the religion, but really it was what he said about himself. It was what I just told you. It was the claims that he made, and so for this reason, they hate him, and they think he's blaspheming. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they thought he was doing. So they hand him over to Pilate. I want you to see what happens. So what, moves, what happens here is we move from outside to inside. And we move from talking outside with everybody to inside with just Pilate. 
Uh, look at verse 32. This was to fulfill, remember, they said, no, we're handing him over to you to be killed. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So one of the other things real quick that religious people don't understand is that Jesus came to die. Religious people kind of understand his life, maybe, and they kind of understand his teachings, kind of. But what they don't understand is that Jesus actually was born to die. See, verse 32 says that Jesus came to die a kind of death. Now, why did he have to be handed over to the Romans? Because if just the Jews had tried him in a Jewish court and given him the penalty of death, they would have stoned him. He would have died by stoning. He said, no, no, I need to be lifted up. I need to bear the wrath of God. See, here's what we believe, that Jesus Christ died a substitutionary death, that Jesus Christ died for you, that Jesus Christ died instead of you, that Jesus Christ died in place of you. This is why when someone gets baptized, you know, you'll see all their shirts and you go, well, why did you put Jesus in my place? Well, that's the gospel. And that's what a person has to believe to get in this water. They have to believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty and the punishment and the payment for my sin instead of me. So Jesus says, okay, he had to die a certain type of death. And in fact, one of the reasons that we believe Jesus is who he says he is, he predicted both his death and his resurrection. Okay, so now he gets, he gets handed over to Pilate. I want you to see this. So Pilate, verse 33. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, and he asked him a question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Okay, so now he's in front of like an irreligious, like relativistic, like rebellious person, okay? Not a religious person who's trying to figure out who is this guy? And so he says, are you the king of the Jews? He's like trying to figure out, are you a spiritual leader? Are you a religious leader? He's actually a little concerned. Are you a political leader? He's asking the question of who is Jesus? Now, I think that's an unbelievably important question. I don't know that's, that's a question we ask much anymore. A couple years ago, if you would have asked Google Voice, who is Jesus? Now they changed it now. But if you would have asked a couple years ago, Google Voice, who's Jesus? The response is, I'm not sure. Religion is complicated. I'm still learning. Which I actually, now it just takes you to a Wikipedia article. But, now, but, like, but like, I actually appreciate that answer. It's like, uh, it's, it's a little confusing. I'm learning. Uh, come back later. It's kind of basically the answer. And, and here's the thing. I thought about this, like who do people say that Jesus is today? And honestly, and I hated to say this out loud because I th- but I think it's the truth is, I just don't think most people care. Like I'm imagining going to, you know, Wake Forest University, let's just pick on Wake Forest for a second because it's inner city. I'm like, and, I'm, and I imagine like walking around the fraternity courts and calling people out of the fraternities and saying, or the sororities or whatever, and saying, who do you think Jesus is? And, I, and I, they might be polite maybe, but it's probably like, dude, why are you asking me this question? I don't care, he's irrelevant. Wasn't he some guy who lived a long time ago? Like, I'll call you if I get cancer. Other than that, I've got an iPhone in my pocket and a ton of streaming shows, and I'm really worried about my next vacation. That's kind of how I think the average person. Now, now there's other people who, now let me, so that's, that's I honestly, that's kind of the, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the arrogant or the apathetic. That, that's kind of what I feel from American culture. But, but there's other things. So let me tell you what people have said historically. There's not a lot of options to who Jesus could have been. So some people say he's a religious teacher, okay? And, and you understand why that people would say that, because he taught religious things. And he was a great teacher, and he taught a lot of things that no one else ever had ever taught. Like, you think it's normal to say love your enemies. Like, we all think that's beautiful, and we all think that other people should do that, okay? They should love their, love their enemies. Um, but, but that was a new idea with Jesus. So he's an un- turn the other cheek. We love all his teachings. So that, we understand why people think he's a religious teacher. Um, other people say, okay, no, he's a great example. And we understand why people would say that. Because he liked people who weren't like him and people who weren't like him liked him and he genuinely loved people and he actually, you know, people would say, he's a great example because look, he actually believed in what he believed in and he lived it out. 
So you go, okay, well, maybe he was a religious religious teacher. Maybe he was an example. Other people go, look, he was just a dude who said a couple great things that everybody took out of proportion. That's kind of Jesus as a myth. He was like this Galilean peasant. He was a little bit ahead of his time. And a couple, back then, a couple of things he said went viral. And he never meant any of this to happen. Well, I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, which is a kid's book, kid's book series. But if you read it, it's really an adult book series. It's really great. Anyway, uh, C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist. He, I believe he taught at Oxford. And, um, and he said that what he did was he had this period of time where he said, I'm going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four accounts of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. He said, and when I, when I read them with a piece of paper and a pen, and, and you know, I actually read them. That's part of the problem. Most people haven't actually read them. We'll get to that in a second. But he said, when I actually read them, I, I had to realize that Jesus was one of three things. He said, I realized I couldn't say he's a good teacher anymore because good teachers don't say, believe in me, or going to hell. Good teachers don't say, I came from down from heaven. Good teachers don't say that. He said, I had to realize, he, he said, he's either a liar. He said, that's really bad. But he said, it's an option. A liar is you're really smart. You knew what you were doing. You knew you were leading people astray, but you still did it. You're a liar. He said, that doesn't seem to line up with the rest of what Jesus did and who he hung out with and how he had compassion. I don't think so. He said, well, then maybe he was a lunatic. He said, well, that makes, you know, because if you, by the way, if you go to like an insane asylum and someone says they're able and you go, yeah, 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 sure you are. You, know, you think you are, but you're insane. I mean, that's, you've lost touch with reality. Maybe, maybe Jesus really thought he was the son of God, but it's like, well, no, his teaching is too, too coherent. It's too comprehensive. It's too connected to the Old Testament. Okay, he's probably not a lunatic. And so that's where, that's where C.S. Lewis said he had to come to the realization, okay, if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, I guess the only option left based on the teachings of Scripture is that he's Lord. And so what I want you to see is, is he goes, here's what's interesting. Pilate asked Jesus a question, and then Jesus, in a very Jewish rabbinical way, asked Pilate a question. Look at this. So remember, Pilate asked the question, and then Jesus comes back in verse 34. And he says this. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? In other words, I love this. Jesus goes, do you, here's a couple questions he's Jesus asking. Do you really want to know who I am? Where did you hear about me from? And are you just saying what other people have told you? And I had this thought to, this week. I thought, okay, okay so, so think with me about this for a second. Think about a, uh, make up an age. Think about an 18-year-old uh, man in San, downtown San Francisco. I don't know who he is. So imagine, he's grown up. He has no... Uh, Christian family. So he grew up in just a, maybe a good home, but not a Christian home. He went to public or private school, but not a Christian school. He lives in San Francisco, California. Obviously, I think we'd all assume that he's heard of Jesus, but what has he heard? Because that's more and more what the America we're growing up in. It's like, what is he, how is he, I asked myself this question, what, has he heard about Jesus and how did he hear about Jesus? And here's what I think, and you can tell me if you think this is right. He heard about him through his, Jesus' guest appearances on South Park, Jesus' guest appearances on Family Guy, signs he saw on the highway while he was driving that say, you know, Jesus tells you to repent, and I don't know if that's helpful or not, because I don't know if people have enough information, or, you know, one of my favorite ones I ever saw was, stop, drop, and roll, won't work in hell. Like, I don't, I'm not sure that, you're like, I don't know if I should laugh at that or not, I understand. Um, I understand. I'm not sure if I should have said it out loud, okay? Um, we're in this together. Okay, so... Um, and so, so I'm thinking, okay, you see billboards, you see guest appearances. Uh, maybe, maybe he had one religious studies class he heard about Jesus from. Maybe he knows Jim Caviezel played him in a movie with Mel Gibson. Maybe he knows a few famous celebrities worship him. He's like, okay, oh, that's Tim Tebow's God. 
or we think Justin Bieber's God, maybe. <laughs> sure. But I'm like, that's it. And so I love, Jesus is basically saying, where did you hear about me from? Which is, a, I think that's where we have to push people back on. Those are, I'm saying, if we're Christians, we talk to people and say, hey, have you done the research for yourself? And then I love what he's saying. Basically, are you parroting what somebody else told you? And when I think about parroting what other people have told you, I think about all of the yard signs I see nowadays. Okay, so I go on runs in my neighborhood. My, my neighborhood, I'm going to use the word, they have the goofiest yard signs everywhere, all my neighbors. And I'm running, and I'm looking at it, and you, they're so long, you can't read all the yards. You, can't, you know what I'm saying? They say so many different things. And I see these yard signs, and, and the yard signs say things like, science is real, women are people, water is life, love equals love. I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. And, and I'm, I'm, I, mean, I mean this, I don't think the average person who puts it out knows what it means. I think, they, I think they're thinking this, I'm a good person, and I'm for the current thing. You know, and they go, and the thing is, seriously, those signs, now look, you may have one of those signs and they may mean a lot to you and you can tell me afterwards what they mean because I don't know what they mean. I don't think the average person knows what they mean. I think it's jargon. I think it's a bunch of things somebody said that somebody thought, oh, that's good. Let's all put that on the sign somewhere. And I'm telling you, I think a lot of people have yard sign Christianity. It's just what they've been told from other people. So I told you, I didn't go to Duke, not smart enough to go to Duke, but I did ministry at Duke for four years. And what was interesting is I, I experienced, I, I, would, I would be really intimidated by these Duke students. I got to meet this Duke student. I'm like, where are you from? He's like, ah, New York City. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you probably mean outside the city, you know? I'm like, no, where, where? He goes, oh, 84th and 12th. I'm like, oh, whoa. I remember one guy said, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to Andover. I think he said Andover. I said, oh, we're Andover. I said, I never heard of it. He goes, it's where Bush went. Okay, it's a little intimidating. So I started talking to these guys, and lots of guys like this. That, I mean, basically, you're groomed to go to Duke from a very young age like $45,000 like elementary schools to get you to Duke, a lot of these kids. But I'd meet these kids, completely rebellious, completely irreligious, completely relativistic. One guy told me, Christianity was mocked in my home when I grew up, he told me. Anyway, we're, we're, we would meet, and, and then they would say things to me like this. Do you know the Bible's full of contradictions? They would say that to me. And I'm thinking, yard sign Christianity. I'm like, did somebody tell you that? Or did you come up with that yourself? What, what would be the contradictions you struggle with the most? Oh, I don't know. I just have heard that. Oh, okay. So that's fine. Yard sign Christianity. Jesus is calling that out. All he's saying is, look, if, that's really, if you're really wrestling with it, let's talk about it. But he's saying, are you willing to do the work to do the research to figure out who I am? But I want you to see what happens next. So this conversation goes back and forth. Now, Pilate doesn't really like, by the way, Pilate doesn't like his questions being asked, being come back with more questions. So look what Pilate says. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? In other words, I'll be doing the question asking around here. <laughs> Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So it's interesting. The first question is a question of identity. The second question is a question of mission. What are, you, what are you doing? And Jesus answered, and by the way, we think verse 36, many scholars, theologians think that verse 36 and 37 and 38 may be the clearest place in the New Testament where Jesus tells us who he is and why he came. So if, if religious people don't understand him and tend to reject him, and rebellious people, they don't get him either. They, maybe they ask questions, but they don't get him. Only Jesus fully understands himself, and so let's let Jesus speak for himself. I mean, I don't like it when other people speak for me. I mean, if I really love them and I really trust them, on small matters, they can speak for me. But in general, I think you probably feel the same. It's like, let me speak for myself. Let me tell you what I did, what I did. Let me tell you my experience. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's telling us why he came. So let's look at it. Here's what he says. Jesus answered... 
My kingdom, he's going to say that three times. When things are repeated, we probably should pay attention. My kingdom is not of this world. In fact, he'll just say that phrase three times. Watch this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, basically repeating himself, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But here it is, third time. But my kingdom is not from this world. So, okay, how do we know Jesus is a king? He's going to tell us he's a king in a second. But, you know, if you have a kingdom, you're a king. And and so what he says here is he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's, he's telling us, Something about his kingdom. So he, says, he didn't say my kingdom is not in this world. He says it's not from this world. He didn't say it's not on this earth. He says it's not from this earth. It's going to begin here, but it's going to go beyond and be bigger than this. And he says this. He says, that, he says that my kingdom is not of this world. It means Jesus is leading a different kingdom. It has a different value system. So do you notice he says, if my kingdom were from this world, my servants would fight for me because that's what happens in an, in an earthly kingdom. I mean, think of all the Netflix shows you love to watch, Okay. It's interesting, we're obsessed with these Netflix shows, a lot of people like, and it's all about ancient kingdoms fighting. And what always happens? It's like, well, the wealthy king sends out all the servants to fight. It's like, well, you know, basically what they believe back then, it's like, well, your life isn't as valuable as mine, so get on with it. And a bunch of you go out there and I'll stay back here and you guys fight for me. That's what what happens in an an earthly kingdom. Jesus is saying, my servants aren't fighting for me because I have an upside down, inside out kingdom where I'm actually, this is what, what people don't understand is that Jesus was giving his life for his servants. He was going ahead of them. So he explains just for a moment, I have a different type of kingdom. But then look what what Pilate says in return. Then verse 37, then Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Or some translations say, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. That's his humanity. And for this purpose, I came into the world. That's his divinity. So Jesus Jesus is a king. Now, I don't even know that we understand what a king is because we've never lived under a king, right? What, What do we live under? a president that we elect every four years and then critique, right? And he is up for re-election every four years. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for democracy. We're grateful for a constitutional republic. Great, love it. Uh, Jesus Christ is not up for re-election. Jesus Christ is a king, not a president, right? And, and, and so here, here's what happens. Every once in a while, someone will, and I know what they mean when they say this. Someone will say something to me like this. Uh, I made Jesus Christ the king of my life when I was 12. Or I made Jesus the Lord of my life when I was in college. And I, and I, and I don't correct them because they're excited when they tell me. And, you know, I, it's, I, I don't want to get overly nuanced. But that's actually not the correct way to say it. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. He is Lord. You recognize and realize him as Lord. You don't make Jesus the king of your life. You recognize and realize that he is the king. In fact, the Bible says that he's everybody's king. It's just you're going to realize that on this side of eternity or on next. The, the options are bow now or bow later. But C.S. Lewis said, you better bow now because there's no use in bowing when you can't stand. And so there's this, this idea. now Jesus also is a king, he's not a coach. I think most Christians, the reason that they're, so people who tried Christianity and found it wanting, tried Christianity that didn't work for them, they normally had the coach mindset, not the king mindset. The coach mindset is, all right, they don't say coach because, you know, who would say coach Jesus sounds kind of weird, but they basically mean that. Hey, coach Jesus, all right, hold on. There's one or two areas of my life I need you to help with. In fact, that's why I came to you right now. I came to you because my marriage is a mess. Coach Jesus, can you help me in my one area of my marriage? Or, you know, no, man, actually, it's my finances. Or it's my teenage kids. Or it's a habit that became an addiction that got out of control in my life, and I need some help in this area. And really, at the end of the day, Coach Jesus is, Jesus, can you help me? Can you service me in this one area of my life? King Jesus is, actually, the only way this works is if I submit to you all of my life. And Jesus is a good king. In fact, he's going to tell us how his kingdom moves forward. Okay, look at this. 
Verse, where are we? Verse 37. Let's go back. I'm going to read in context. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world. It's like, what are you going to say, Jesus? You told us you're a king with a kingdom. Now you're saying, this is why you came into the world. Here it is. To bear witness to the truth. Wow. Everyone who is of the truth, or literally on the side of truth, there are different sides. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, and most people think it was probably in a dismissive way because it doesn't seem like he really stays to hear the answer or want to hear the answer. In a kind of a dismissive way, here's how the, their conversation ends. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Jesus, I don't have time to get into all this, but Jesus connects himself deeply to the truth. Other places he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. One of Jesus' favorite statements that he would say, he says it 25 times in the Gospel of John, is truly, truly, I say to you. Okay, or actually, by the way, if you don't know this, truly is the same word that we translate amen. So at the end of a prayer, when you say amen, you're saying truly. That's what you're saying. Okay, so truth is very central to Jesus Christ, and actually here he tells us that truth is knowable. We live in a society, we live in like a post-truth, post-modern, I don't even know what we live in anymore. But basically people go, is truth knowable? Jesus says truth is knowable. And here's how you know existentially kind of that truth is knowable because you know what a lie is. And you, that, sometimes you know something by knowing its opposite. And you know the pain of being lied to. Or you know the, the stress of trying to lie and keep lies and cover lies with other lies. You're like, this isn't right. You know there's truth. And so but basically Jesus tells us is there's this massive battle. This is one of the main themes of scripture between, and we see this battle at, at the very end of Jesus' life between truth and lie. It's the first battle our parents faced in the garden. Are you going to believe God is good or not? Are you going to believe God's word or Satan's distortion of that word? The same thing happens today. Here's, here's what you need to know, that what the culture is telling you in almost every area of your life is the exact opposite of what the Bible tells you. So what does the culture tell you? The highest value that you should hold to that will make you a good person who's for the current thing is tolerance. Tolerance is, it's been redefined. It's you're okay, he's okay, she's okay. Every lifestyle, every perspective, every ideology is equal and should be accepted, affirmed, and celebrated. Okay, I want you to know that's the exact opposite of the Bible says. The Bible says, actually, tolerance isn't the highest value. Repentance is the highest value. And you're not okay, and you're not okay, and I'm not okay, and she's not okay, but that's okay. Because we know what to do with that. We can turn to Jesus. All right, what does the Bible tell you faith is? Or sorry, what does the culture tell you faith is? Faith is like a, a subjective experience based on your feelings that should be private. That's what you've been told. Do you know that faith is the exact opposite of everything I just said? Faith is personal, not private. It's public, not private. It's objective, not subjective. It's based on historical fact, not your feelings. Wow. So Jesus came to tell us the truth. Now, it's hard to be told the truth, right? Because that means parts of you need to die that have been leaving lies. Parts of you need to be burned off, all that, whatever you've been living. And it's really, really painful. And, and I want to give you the very center we see at the very, the, 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 the greatest truth that Jesus came to share happens in the next verse. I want you to see this. And it's, it's a truth that's first acted out. Look at verse 38. It says this. After he said this, so Pilate, this is talking about Pilate. After he said, what is truth? 
After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, this is amazing, Pilate, uh, so think about it, it was a court case and so there was, exa- there was examination, defense, verdict. That's how court cases go. After that, he, uh, he went out back outside to the Jews. He told them, I find no guilt in him. Okay, so Pilate's judgment on Jesus is guiltless. But we're not done. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That'd be Jesus. They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. You go, well, who's Barabbas? This isn't Barnabas. This is someone different, okay? Barabbas. You go, who's Barabbas? I never heard of this guy. Well, this is the first time we're hearing about him, but we're told one thing about him. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, if you take all the gospel accounts, actually, we're told Barabbas was not just a robber. He was also a traitor. That's in another account. And in a further account, we're told he was also a murderer, Okay. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So here's, here's how this account ends as we head toward Easter, as we head toward the empty tomb. The guiltless person is arrested and condemned. This is the heart of Christianity, Jesus. Every once in a while, people will say, why do bad things happen to good people? And I know what they mean, and it's a great question. What they mean is like, hey, why otherwise like nice, you know, hardworking, good families, why, did they, why does that family get cancer? Fair enough, good question. Let's wrestle with that together. But if what you mean by that is, why do bad things happen to people who've never done anything wrong ever? That only happened one time, to Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect person. He was the best person. It's it literally, the, the Christianity, the cross is the perfect example of a tragedy. You cannot get a more tra- tragic scenario. You have the worst thing in the world happen to the best person in the world. That's, that's the cross. You have a young, innocent, godly, God himself, man, who dies tragically, violently after being rejected and betrayed and arrested by his own people. But then the amazing thing is Barabbas, who we're told was a robber and a traitor and a murderer, he gets set free. And he gets set free only because Jesus takes his place. That's the picture of substitution. That's the great truth of Christianity. I want, and I don't know this for sure, this is speculation, but I wonder if when Barabbas was set free, by the way, if you've ever gotten in trouble before and then some, somehow you got let go and the punishment wasn't what you thought it was gonna be and your parents were nice or the principal was nice or somebody was nice, you know that feeling of, oh, whoa, right? Okay, you know that feeling of relief. Well, okay, so, so Barabbas, he was gonna be crucified. I wonder if he went and visited the crucifixion of Jesus that day. Maybe he didn't, but they were public, they were common, they were done so that everybody knew don't, don't, don't mess with Rome. So I wonder if Barabbas went over that day afterwards, maybe just from kind of the back, not, didn't get real close, and he saw the three people on the cross, and he had the thought that every Christian has. I don't know if Barabbas became a Christian, I don't know that. But every Christian would have the thought Barabbas had when he looks at the cross. The man on, in the middle is hanging on my cross. He is paying the penalty instead of me. The only reason I'm free in being here is because he's pinned to the cross over there. So here's the truth. Whether, as I'm talking today, whether you say, you know, I'm more rebellious, I'm more like Pilate, I'm more irreligious, or if you'd say, actually, because eh, I grew up in an indie fundy church and I've got, and I like to make rules about the rules and laws about the laws and all that kind of stuff, I'm more religious. Whether you say that, that, doesn't, that matters at one level. Actually, what I want us to understand at Easter is all of us are Barabbas. What I want you to hear, if you maybe only hear one thing, is that, listen, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. 
And that's why we, why do we sing about Jesus? It's because Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died in our place. And then when, here's what, here, you ever wonder, what does the resurrection mean? Like, what does it mean? It means that it worked. That's what it means. It was God's amen. It means, you ever, you ever send a text to somebody, and, and if you have an iPhone to iPhone, it says delivered? Or even if you forget, to, if some of you have forgot to turn off the read receipt, so it still says read. <laughs> and we actually know the moment. It'll tell us the time. It tells us the moment you read it. That's what the resurrection is. I have fully accepted it. It has gone through, and it has counted. So as you look back over this final event, Pilate and Jesus, here's what you realize. Jesus wasn't ultimately on trial. Pilate was. Truth doesn't go on trial. Truth stands, truth put Pilate on trial. What truth does, truth being Jesus, is he stands over all of us and he asks this question, is it working? How's your life going? And do you really want to know who I am? Where did you hear about me? And are you just parroting other people? And then Jesus loves us enough. And what we've done today as we've walked through the scriptures is he tells us the truth. The truth about him, the truth about himself, the truth about us. And more than that, he goes to the cross so that like Barabbas, we can be set free. That's the good news of Easter. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to take a moment and pray for us. I don't know where people are. I just want to give people an opportunity to respond. Just it's Easter Sunday, and I think I'd be remiss not to just give someone an opportunity to say, look, I'm either, I've been religious, and I need to repent of my religion. There's some of you here that I just would imagine right now, you need to repent of your religion. You don't need to repent of being bad. You need to repent of trying to be good. You need to repent of trying to make your way to God. Maybe you've never realized that Jesus died instead of you. That you were Barabbas, who you were the guilty set free because the guiltless was condemned. Others of you are rebellious, and you've tried to question and question and question, and you've never let Jesus question you. But wherever you are, whatever category, I want to just give you an opportunity. There's, becoming a Christian, being a Christian isn't easy, but becoming a Christian is simple. You do three things. You admit. You, you, you just admit, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm not a mistaker. I don't need a life coach. I need a savior. You believe. You just say, Lord, I believe. But you don't understand everything, but you say, Lord, I believe that somehow what you did 2,000 years ago on that cross counted for me. And then the Bible says you confess it publicly. You can do that through water baptism. You do that through telling your friends and family that you're following Jesus now. And let me just ask you, if you've never done that before, if you've never really given your life to Christ, if you've never asked him into your heart, if you've never trusted him personally, if you would raise your hand right now to make that commitment this Easter Sunday to fully follow Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that there's that what Christianity is about, what Easter is about is that we have hope. What Easter is about is that things can be made new. And that the same, the amazing truth is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in believers. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.